This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, lots of new future tech, including flying cars. And also looking to the future, we're going to talk about the digital aircraft registry coming soon. A new space race, this time with some billionaires. And AOPA blasts the FAA for a short-sighted approach to compensated flight training. Finally, one youngster flies around the world. Hey, Ian, are you ready to do some hangar talk today? Let's do it, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, sky back. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. David, our, our guest this week, we'll get to him as a news piece later on in the show, but then also have him for, you had him for an in-depth conversation, Travis Ludlow. A Brit who has now become the youngest person to fly around the world. Yes, Travis Ludlow stopped over here at AOPA headquarters, Ian, uh, on the last couple of legs of his journey to cross uh, the world solo. And he was in a diesel-powered Cessna 172 at 18 years old and 150 days. That's when he finished. But we'll have more a little bit later. Okay, very cool. All right, but David, let's get into the news. We said we're going to talk about the future, and we'll start there with flying cars. This one, a surprise flying car, the KleinVision Air Car, came to us from Slovakia. Talk about Futurama, Ian. This is uh, the real Jetsons coming to uh, mm-hmm. uh, not just an airport, but to a highway near you, maybe, in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. Pretty cool car. It was uh, It's so sexy. You and I were commenting off air, it looks like a Lotus. It does look like a Lotus. Very cool. Almost like a like a Le Mans, you know, sort of middle seat racer. You know, we've seen obviously the Terra Fusia recently and then obviously all the way back to the to the, you know, Taylor Aero car. This is a twin boom a sort of T-tail with folding wings. They say it takes about two and a half minutes. But I think what's so cool about this thing is, you know, instead of a bunch of press releases and, you know, 20 years to lead up or whatever, it just happened. There was a press event. They flew and they drove it. 35 minutes. Uh, the flight lasted 35 minutes from uh, Nitra, Slovakia. And and it was highly recorded, you know, by, uh, by, by folks who were there in person. And we had some digital cameras on board. And the thing is awfully cool. Now, look, it's a pretty, pretty fast-moving car. 
You know, it's got a 160 horsepower BMW engine right now, and it's equipped with a ballistic parachute. So it's right on par with some of the safety features that we've been talking about in the last few months. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, I think out of that engine, they're getting about 100 knots during, they've already flown at 40 hours, which is incredible. They're talking about in the future, probably a 300 horsepower engine. And of course, you know, they're already talking about more seats, you know, more power options, things like that. They say with that 300 horsepower, they're going to get 160 knots and 600 miles of range. That would be pretty darn impressive, I got to say. That would be. I'd, uh, you'd sign me right up for that thing, except for the one thing we don't know, Ian, is how much it costs. And yeah, so that's right. Yeah. That's a big question mark. But you're right. Uh, the, the website does announce plans to develop a range of models, including a three and a four seat version and perhaps a twin engine variant and maybe even an amphibious version. So they have some future plans for this future Rama Klein car. Very cool. Yeah, Jetsons, like you said, here we come. All right, talking about the FAA, I know it's kind of a downer, but we want to give you a heads up on something that's coming this fall. That is the new digital registry that they're going to implement down there in Oak City. Yeah, the FAA had about three years to implement a plan, and basically that was signed into law in October of 2018. So the three years uh, will be coming up soon. And this is good news for aircraft owners, uh, folks who are trying to register an aircraft, and also for pilot certificates. So welcome to the digital world, the FAA. Mm -hmm, Yeah, so initially, like you said, airplanes only. And so the the goal is to get rid of the triplicate, you know, paper copy and who takes what and, you know, all that sort of hassle. It'll be instant online. They say it'll reduce errors because obviously there'll be checks included. And then ultimately a phase two will include IACRA. And that'll be really interesting. That's kind of the bane of most flight instructors existence. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they change it. Yeah, you brought up a good point. Uh, Keeping that pink certificate with the pink copy of the certificate Mm -hmm. with you when you're buying and selling an airplane. And uh, I mean, you know, it's a piece of paper. There's only one of them. So yeah, don't be losing it. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I worked in the uh, pilot information center, it was like every day, well, at least once a day, you'd get a call from a member who was probably in most cases buying their first airplane. And they're looking at this form and they say, well, what do I do now? Which paper do I keep? What does that stay with the airplane? What does the seller get? What does the FAA get? So yeah. Yeah. Let's move beyond that. So, yeah, and uh, I'd still make a paper copy and keep it with me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know, you know, those little uh, ones and zeros get lost too, don't they? So Sometimes. Hey, so new space race, David. This one with a bunch of rich guys. Yeah, as you like to say, moving on. These folks are really, really are moving on. Uh, the first thing we want to congratulate Richard Branson from Virgin Galactic because he actually did taste the edge of space, if you will, mm-hmm. on July 11th. He went up on a test flight on Spaceship Two. But there's other big news just on the horizon. Yeah. You want me to keep going or you want to tease it? Yeah, no, no, you go for it because you, you wrote this story and I think it's a good one. Well, Wally Funk, and this is a a female flight instructor. She has been a longtime flight instructor. She has amassed an incredible amount of hours. She's the real deal, Ian, with, you know, about 19,000 hours. She's taught 3,000 people how to fly. And so she is slated to, to join Jeff Bezos on Blue Origin when that flies probably around when we're going to uh, 
you know, introduce this podcast, this Hanger Dog podcast, on July 20th. So that is cool stuff. She waited 60 years for this opportunity. Yeah. So Wally is one of the original. And this this story is interesting. If, if you know, it's just, I think there was a movie out just a couple of years ago about this. But before that, there really wasn't a lot of attention paid to it. She's part of, I think, what they called the Mercury 13. And it was a group of women who... NASA invited to go through all the physical tests and all the aptitude tests that the original Mercury astronauts went through. And I think at the time, there was a thought that amongst the women that maybe they would get their chance to go to space. And of course, that never happened. Um, and so she, I think, has felt this uh, sort of need to, to, you know, put that training to the test, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, she joined Geraldine Jerry Cobb, who we've, we've talked about before, and Jacqueline Cochran as, as some of the, basically the three top candidates in that class. And that was an unofficial, as you said, it was an unofficial astronaut training program for, for females. Here's some of the stuff that they did that they had to experience. This blew my mind. There's a vertigo experiment that shot ice water into their ears to measure recovery. I mean, I can't even imagine how, how that would feel. They basically were on a tilt table device that assessed their circulation. And to measure their stomach acid, they had to swallow a rubber tube. I mean, where do these, I guess the space, <laughs> see, the whole thing was that space travel was an unknown oh. at that point. This is before anyone traveled in space yeah so right, you know right. if you're a scientist you're thinking up some of these things that you would have to endure withstand and all but i mean it's a little extreme but anyway yeah wally funk came through that with flying colors and she really did think she was going to go to space she advocated for her and for other women to be part of the nasa program for a number of years so this this is a real story yeah, I agree. And it's, of course, it didn't happen then until the 80s. And so at least in the States, obviously, Russia was was earlier there. But yeah, it, it is a really fascinating time. I mean, you know, you look at, I think, Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin, and it's like, Virgin Galactic has been going for obviously for years and years and years in development. And there's just this sense that it was like, just around the corner. And then for them to be within two weeks of each other is just incredible. Well, it's like a space race again. It's like what we had yeah. back in the 60s between the US and Russia. So Wally's going to be the oldest person at 82 years old, 82 years old, and, and who was the previous oldest person in outer space, you probably do know. Well, your story refreshed my memory. I had forgotten. I, well, I, I don't know that I would have won Trivia Night with this, but of course, John Glenn went when he was in his 70s, late 70s, I think, right? That is amazing. And I thought at that time, Ian, that that was a huge feat. You know, he was fit. He was a senator. He still maintained his, his hands in aviation, but... I mean, at 82 years old, there's a whole octogenarian flying club that you could belong to yeah, once right. you pass 80. You <laughs> That's know? right. That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's been some, I don't know, cold water, I guess you'd say, thrown on, you know, the Branson flight. They said, well, he only reached 50 miles and that, you know, they only give astronaut wings of 50 miles because they wanted to, you know, recognize the X-15 contributions and all this. But it's like, man, I don't want to hear it. The guy went to space. It's an incredible thing for these private companies to develop these technologies and to take that risk. And I think it's phenomenal. So, uh, you know, as they continue, I wish them all the best because it's very cool. I think the Branson flight was amazing. He worked very hard, spent a lot of money to get there. So it's well-deserved. Yeah. And just a final thought on that, you know, some of the other companies uh, that we've talked about, SpaceX included, there is actually some technology that will be introduced in the future because of some of these flights. There are some satellites that will be put 
into orbit that will, might make communication easier for us, Ian, and in-flight communication uh, with a GoGo network and things like that. So, you know, this is still like going back to the 60s where when Velcro was introduced from space you know, flights right? and it's tang ubiquitous and, yeah. now, right, and Tang and <laughs> all kinds right. of stuff. So there's a lot, of, a lot of technology that we're looking to probably incorporate in the near future from these advances. Yeah, very good point. Hey, want to talk about something that I know has been kind of making the rounds amongst GA News that's very important. And this is, and I guess we've touched on it the past couple of shows, but there has been some news here. And that is the, the FAA's new policy on experimental and primary aircraft training. We talked on the show about the FAA hopefully, you know, sort of coming out of the right side of this and, and you know, doing what's right for the industry and for safety. And unfortunately, that is not what has happened. Yeah, basically July 12th was a date that, that we needed to kind of mark because that was when a, a delay was over. It was with, withdrawn and, it, and some of the new rules basically were put in place effective July 12th. And the FAA has not responded correctly in our opinion, in AOPA's opinion. And AOPA is not sitting on our laurels, so to speak, but we've been fighting this tooth and nail with starting with an amicus brief even last year. You know, and this all goes back to that Warbird Adventures case. And uh, just to ref refresh folks, you know, what it does right now, it impacts flight training for hire in certain categories aircraft, including ex experimental aircraft, Warbirds, and exhibition aircraft. So it could have, it could have broader implications. So right now, you, you were explaining this to me a while back. You need a, a LODA. What is a LODA? Yeah, so this is... You know, and we'll have to see how it's implemented. I mean, that's that's really where it matters here. But a LODA is a letter of deviation authority. And so in the past, the FAA has said, okay, well, so flight school, other commercial operator, whatever, you can't own an experimental aircraft and then offer it for training without a LODA. So you would have to go to the FAA and say, hey, I want to, I've got this RV, I want to offer type specific training in it, you know, and they would give you a LODA, you'd apply for a LODA and they give you a LODA. Now the FAA's interpretation is, as of Monday, as of this, you know, this past Monday as we record this, that even if you are the owner of an experimental aircraft and you are offer and you need instruction in your own airplane, that there must be a LODA. Either the instructor must have one or the airplane must have one. And you can imagine that is a massive change because, you know, for example, if, if I own an RV, you know, I need a flight review. All of a sudden it's like, I, I can't get, you know, if my flight review was scheduled Monday, I can't get it. There's no way to get it. And so you, you can't imagine how that could in, increase safety as the FAA says it's supposed to. It's like now the, you know, either the airplane needs one or my instructor needs one. And in the process for doing that, it's not terribly burdensome. You know, initially they're saying, well, you got to apply electronically, but they're saying, well, then it's then routed to the FISDO. So you're talking about, I mean, if there is a backlog, that's a, you know, you're stuck that you're not going to be able to get training in your own airplane. And that's crazy. I agree. And I think that that's a huge problem because there are 39,000 or more uh, registered experimental limited or primary category aircraft that would that people fly to air shows under these, you know, limited arrangements and just doing, doing the numbers, 39,000 aircraft, if you divided that by 365 days, which really is not fair because I'm giving the FAA more of a break. There's, you're really not working, you know, every single day. You know, yeah. there are a lot of holidays and all, but even still, that's 106 of these potential LODAs per day. 
that you'd have to go through. And uh, I mean, there's eight hours in a day. So that's like, to, uh, my math is not good, but it's like 15 an hour. And, uh, you know, that's like, that's impossible for, for the agency to go through that. And I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I will say we got a report from somebody who called into the Pilot Information Center and they said they sent their request in in the morning and it was approved in the afternoon. Fantastic. Now, whether that's, yeah, it is amazing. And who knows what that has to do with the FISDO because the person got in early. Who knows what? So we'll have to see as time goes on. You know, that this was issued, as you mentioned, without comment period. Yes. You know, it was just dropped. Yeah, that's a real sticky point. I mean, that is not according to how you're supposed to uh, offer these regulations. We're supposed to have comments on it. Then AOPA often interjects very important and timely comments, and that often changes the way some of these rulings end up and some of the procedures. So that was not present. Yeah. So as you said, AOPA is not sort of taking it for what it is and saying, oh, okay, well, I guess we have to deal with it. We are, you know, pushing back hard in the FAA saying this is actually a detriment to safety and we need to put in some common sense sort of controls here. So I I think we'll see, well, I hope we'll see some changes over the next couple of weeks. And of course, as as that happens, we'll we'll bring them up on the show. I think there'll be some questions that might come up at EAA AirVenture in yeah, just a couple right. of weeks when you've got, <laughs> you got that right forty thousand experimental owners potentially you know, that will be there or more. Yes. So uh, because of friends and families, and you know the whole thing is that it really actually, and you're a flight instructor, it does have broader implications because of mm-hmm. the way the way the language is for for compensation. So compensation. There's monetary compensation for sure, but yeah. but but Ian, what um, what if the interpretation also includes compensation such as, hey, the the instructor is gaining great experience in logging more time, flight time, you know, yeah, yeah. And the FAA in the past has said that they have said that flight time is definitely compensation. So yeah, absolutely, you got that right. All right, well, like you, well, like you like to say, moving on, moving on. Yes, some better news. <laughs> So, David, you you met Travis. We mentioned 18 years old, flew around the world by himself. You know, it's it's incredible because this this stuff used to happen and nobody would hear about it, right? Maybe there'd be a news story at the end of the flight or maybe one at the beginning. But now, Travis, you know, he's he's 18. He's very savvy on social media, and so we all got to watch day by day as he made this trip. And you know, into he talked about his decision making and the weather and the legs and all the procedures, and it was fascinating. It was great. True enough. It's kind of interesting, you know, flying solo around the world at 18. I mean, I know what I was doing at 18. I sure didn't have (laughs) my act together to do that. But uh, a cool thing about this is that my first question was to to Travis was, like, what kind of Skyhawk can you be flying around the world in? I mean, they only hold like 48 Mm -hmm. or 50 or so gallons of of Avgas. Well, he's not he wasn't flying an Avgas powered Skyhawk. It was a Continental diesel-powered Skyhawk, so that only sips about four gallons of Jet-A, and with about 46 uh, gallons of usable Jet-A, he was able to log up to 10-hour flight legs. But he tells us about some of the challenges uh, uh, you know, that occur with, with long flight legs. But I want to tell our listeners a really super quick story before we get into the interview. Yeah. So Travis came here to, um, to AOPA. He wanted to stop by AOPA and, and, and say hello. And so he and I connected. And his first real trouble on this whole trip, and he had already gone halfway around the world, was trying to check into a motel 
in Frederick, Maryland. Oh, my gosh. So he, he couldn't check in. They wouldn't let him check in because he was under 21. So I had traded phone numbers with him, and, and he called me, and he said he was stuck at the, I won't say the name of the hotel chain. So I went and met him, and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's go to this other hotel, and we'll try that. We go there. Same deal. They must have already had tabs on his name. You know, it was the same chain, different name, different brand of hotel, but same overall chain. Troublemaker. 18-year-old troublemaker. Right. Yeah, he's going to throw a party in the room. Right. So, uh, I mean, I can only imagine the kid is just dog-tired after flying legs. And he came up from Florida that day. And that's a pretty long journey if you've ever done it up, the, up and down the East Coast. And so I said, all right, well, let's go to... Uh, this final hotel, I said, I've, I've got a plan. We're going to implement the plan. I'm going to check in. We're going to just walk in together. And I just want you to have a good night's sleep, check your four flight, do what you got to do to be rested and to continue your journey. So, and I said, oh, by the way, there's this restaurant across the street and it has all you can eat side dishes. And he goes, right out, chap, let's do it. <laughs> so, so that was it. You know, that was the, the hard sell. So uh, we did check in. Uh, the folks were super nice. They were here at the country suites. So I will drop their name. He had a good overnight rest. Uh, we met the next day and it was cool. That's he's great. just a neat guy. He's going to tell us all about flying and he's going to encourage some other young people as well. Travis, welcome to Frederick, Maryland. Tell us a little bit about your world journey and where you started. Yeah, so uh, I started my world journey in uh, the Netherlands in a place called Tuha. That's the official uh, departure, uh, and that's where I left for the Around the World flight. And how long have you been on the road and in the air at this point? I think it's a significant milestone as we record this. I've been in the on the road uh, a month and one day now. So uh, I left on the 29th, then it's the 30th. So yeah, just just over a month, and uh, it's been going going very well. So you went from the Netherlands and transversed east and started that way. What was the first country you crossed, Travis? First country I crossed was Germany. Actually, I didn't actually land in Germany. I just flew straight over it and landed in Poland uh, from the Netherlands. That was the uh, that was the first leg of the flight. And tell me about flying in Russia. That was uh, very interesting. It was actually very, quite easy. Um, you know, you have a uh, an agent who you know who deals all the bureaucracy and stuff like that, and uh, you know, gets all the route that you know because the Russian government actually has to assign you the route and stuff like that. So they they file the flight plans for you and stuff like that. And so you know, all you do is wake up in the morning, you look, you just get a text message with the flight plan, and you put the flight plan into for flight, and then you just go and uh, fly the route. And so actually, you know, it's pretty uh, it, it's pretty easy. But the you know the hardest part about flying in Russia was probably the of like weather resources and stuff like that. And what about Asia as you continue to cross the world? Yeah, so I didn't actually, I flew through Asia actually still not in Russia. So uh, uh, I never entered any, uh, you know, China or um, any, uh, like any countries down, uh, down in the Far East. But uh, even still, uh, Russia was uh, you know, difficult flying uh, up there, you know, far north, Siberia, ice and uh, you know, again, lack of information about the ice. That brings me to the next question for you, Travis. Give us your pilot credentials and uh, when you started flying and furthermore i know the instrument flying that you have done plays predominantly in your flying around the world so give us a lowdown on that yeah absolutely yeah i'm uh, so i uh, i'm a ppl pilot ppl with an instrument rating 
I got my private pilot's license when I was 17, so I got picked it up last year. And then uh, I finished my instrument rating about six months later with AeroGuard. And so, yeah, I, that, that's what I got. And you know, the instrument rating has been really important for this trip. If I didn't have the instrument rating, I'd probably still be in Russia right now. So, yeah. What made you pursue aviation, Travis? You told me last night when we first met that there aren't any aviators in your family. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not too sure, really. I've always been interested in aviation. It's like it's like it's in my blood or something. It's just, uh, you know, it's, I've just been addicted to it. Like, no, none of my family knows about aviation or, you know, knows, knows much about it. So I just, I wanted to do it, and I, uh, and I you know, pushed to, to push to follow my goals. How many hours do you have right now? I have just under 400 hours, yeah. And how many hours in this Cessna 172 do you have, Travis? In this, probably about 130 hours. That's a pretty big chunk of your total time. So you've probably gotten to know this airplane pretty well at this point. Yes. Well, that brings us to the airplane you're in, Travis. This 172 Skyhawk is a little bit different model than what we're used to seeing here in the U.S. Give us a lowdown. Yes. So, you know, from the outside, it looks like a normal 172, except for the prop. And there's an intake hole on the side as well, which is strange. And the engine is what's different. And on board is a uh, a Continental CD155 diesel slash jet A engine. And the reason I uh, chose this engine is because it only burns four gallons an hour of jet A. And so Jet A, you know, you can get it pretty much anywhere in the world. It can run on car diesel as well. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's perfect for running around the world flight. And burning four gallons an hour, I have, uh, you know, 10 hours plus of endurance. And so I can go you know, th- a thousand miles in one flight. So I needed that range for the, for the around the world flight. So what is your longest flight, Travis? My longest flight, I've actually already done it. It was uh, from Moscow to Yekaterinburg, Russia. It was about... Oh, eight to eight hours and a half, eight and a half hours. So that was the longest flight. I, I don't really like going longer than that. It gets a bit uh, tiring, and you know, I got, I've got no uh, you know, rudder trim on this thing, so it's really difficult to adjust the rudder. And so I kind of get like rigor mortis in my right leg all the time. So, but you know, that's the uh, that's the endurance, and that's the longest flight. So you can fly about a thousand miles, and you're sipping about four gallons of Jet A. Per hour. Yeah. And you're holding, uh, what, about 46 gallons of fuel or something like that? So Jet A is slightly heavier. So for the STC, they had to make the fuel tank slightly smaller. So I got 44.6 gallons usable. So this airplane is set up pretty well. Uh, it's an almost new airplane, and clearly it must have an autopilot. Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't do this without the autopilot. It'd be way too difficult. I've got a Garmin GFC 500 on board, which is a really great autopilot. What is your most interesting experience on this journey so far, Travis, including last night here in Frederick when a couple of motels turned you away for being too young? Yeah, that was that was definitely uh, one of the most interesting was uh, you know, landing here in Frederick, and I've had no issues at all, really. And then I, you know, I land and then uh, go to check in, and the guy's looking at my passport, you know, because I, I, that's the only idea I got is my passport, and he's, and he's staring at it for ages. And he eventually asked, like, wait a minute, how old are you? He's like, oh, I'm 18. He's like, oh, sorry, you need to be 21 to check into this hotel. And, I'm, and, and I, I, I even told him, mate, I just, I just flew from uh, Tampa to here by myself in my own plane. So that was a funny story to tell after, yeah. But uh, I've had some other interesting stories as well where I um, had to, again, with the lack of uh, weather information in Russia, I had to do a, uh, I was planning to do a fuel stop in a place called Manili, Russia. A tiny little settlement with no, uh, pretty much, well, there's no roads connecting to this place. The only way to get there is by boat or by like a Russian helicopter. 
and so they have a runway for the Russian helicopter, but like not designed for planes. But luckily, you know, 172 can make it on this uh, you know, gravel runway. And so as I'm going in, I, uh, you know, I, I land, and the weather gets like, is really bad you know, as, I, as I'm coming in. You know, unforecast, I can see a forecast. And so I'm waiting it out on the ground. Uh, they fill up with fuel. And then uh, the weather seems to get better, so I, I take off. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah, uh, the weather's like still IFR, and I was hoping to go VFR onto the airway. But uh, you know, as I depart, I just see like the base of this mountain and some really bad mountain obscuration in the direction I was going. So I just turned around, and came straight back. Yeah, you know, I didn't. I didn't want to risk it or anything. So yeah, I came back and spent the night in this place. Anyway, as I wasn't planning to, so I had no. I had no uh, local currency, and I all I had was uh, you know, dollars. And luckily, a really nice guy there had a hostel and stayed the night there and it was it was actually great it gave me lots of gifts yeah yeah i was gonna ask if you had a sleeping bag i see a load of popcorn here in a co-pilot seat to help you on your trip yeah they uh, my my friends down in uh, in tampa gave me uh, gave me some uh, popcorns well, what are your favorite munchies on this trip oh probably uh jaffa cakes british food uh british snacks but i've unfortunately i've, I've gone through them all already so yeah that's uh, that's a shame <laughs> what is the weirdest thing you've eaten so far on this world journey the weirdest thing i've eaten was probably uh alligator in uh in in tampa yeah uh, yeah it was really nice it tasted like uh it tastes like chicken actually yeah so i liked it a lot yeah <laughs> well to date have you had to spend any nights on the floor in a cot in your sleeping bag at some of the fbo's i mean Weather must factor into some of this travel. I ha yeah, well, I haven't actually. I haven't actually had any um, times when I had to you know, sleep or somewhere, not at a hotel or a, a you know, nice place to stay or your friends. So, you know, I've, I've been kind of lucky with, uh, you know, all the places I've diverted to, I've either been able to leave the same day or, or there's been a hotel nearby these diversions. So it's, it's been pretty good, yeah. Well, we're catching you on basically some of your final legs here on this World Journey Adventure, Travis. What's the next stop? and take us all the way through to your trip back home. Yeah, so next stop, I'm just going north of New York, uh, only about an hour flight from here. And uh, from there, I'm continuing to Goose Bay, Canada, and then Narsaswat, Greenland, then Reykjavik, Iceland, and then going to Ireland, and then Spain, then Morocco, then France, then the Netherlands. And the, the reason I'm going down you know, to Morocco is just to say that I, uh, I touched, the, uh, touched Africa. So how many more fuel stops do you have and how many more miles or kilometers till you're back home in England? I've probably got about maybe 15 fuel stops to go. Um, so not too many. I've done, I've done about uh, 45 fuel stops. So yeah, I've got 15 to go now. And uh, so definitely the final stretch. And uh, i got about uh, six or 7,000 miles to go as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you how the loneliness factor played in. I, uh, I miss just the, uh, yeah, all my friends and, uh, and my family over there and uh, my girlfriend especially as well. Yeah, I, really miss, I really miss everyone over there and I miss flying with people in the plane. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, the whole time I'm by myself, eight hours at a time sometimes, just uh, by myself. So that's probably the hardest part of this trip has been the loneliness and stuff like that. So. What do you find in your inner self that keeps you going? Well, I, I, it's uh, it's just wanting to get home and uh, I, I wanting to beat this record. That's that's what keeps me going. It's uh, uh, you know the uh, and wanted to see uh, everyone want to get back. Now I see several sponsors on the fuselage of your 172, Travis. Tell us a little bit about some of the sponsors, including UNICEF, which is a worldwide organization, and it looks like you're trying to raise a little bit of money for them as well. Yeah, so UNICEF, I'm, I'm hoping to raise money for them. Any, any funds left over and uh, donations will be, uh, will be sent to uh, UNICEF. And so, uh, yeah, hoping to, raise, hoping to raise some funds for them. And then, yeah, I've got plenty of sponsors who have uh, supported my trip. 
yeah, I'm really thankful for that. How can we find you on the World Wide Web? So you can uh, find me at a, a website. It's uh, www.aroundtheworldsolo.co.uk. And I've also got Instagram, Facebook, and that's just, you just search Travis Ludlow and I'll, uh, I'll show up. Travis Ludlow, Around the World Solo. And that's how you find me, pretty much. So what are your plans, Travis, after you complete the flight, besides obviously hugging your folks and your girlfriend, that kind of thing? I'm not actually too sure yet. I, uh, I've pretty much been focusing 100%, you know, for you know, four years of planning has been has gone into this, and I've been focusing 100% on this uh, on this trip. And so uh, I haven't uh, I haven't actually thought about the, uh, the future after this. I, wa I want to see where the around-the-world flight takes me and uh, see where I go from there. Has the around-the-world flight opened any potential careers? Well, I haven't had any uh, career offers yet, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping it will. You know, I, I hope the experience it gives me will, uh, will let me. Yeah. Any ideas about entering aviation as an aviation professional? Yes, I, I would like to you know, work in aviation and be a, a professional, you know, professional aviator. Again, I just ha I'm not sure what field I'll be, I, I want to work in yet. Give us some advice for other young people like yourself, Travis. You're 18 years old, and there's a whole generation of young aviators following behind you. What can they do to get involved in aviation and perhaps follow your footsteps? Well, just keep uh, believing in yourself, keep following your dreams, and uh, uh, you know, no matter no matter what gets in your way, just keep pushing for uh, you know your aviation goals and uh, just believe in yourself. And one day you'll uh, you'll make it. That's uh, that's what I can say. Yeah. So, Travis, what was your main motivation for this flight? You said you've been planning on it for about four years, ever since you got your glider rating. Well, I'm, I'm doing it to, to show young, you know, young people that, uh, as I said, to inspire them to you know, go and follow their dreams and follow their aviation goals and, and uh, you know, to show that you can make it as long as you keep uh, believing in yourself, keep pushing for, to, to, your, to your dreams. Well, how did you convince your parents to let you go do this? I mean, you're 18 years old. This is quite an accomplishment. I'm not really sure how I, uh, I managed to convince them. I mean, it took it took a long time. I mean, you know, just nagging them over and over, just saying, uh, "Hey, I'm, I want to fly around the world. Will you let me do that, please?" And you know, and uh, eventually, my my dad got on board, and then my mum, you know, came on board, and they've been super supportive of me, and uh, I'm really, really grateful for that. So yeah, very thankful. But uh, you know, I, I, I stay in contact with them every day. So I've got a uh, onboard satellite phone, and uh, I can contact them while, while I'm flying, you know, anywhere in the world. So it's really good. How did you make contact with some of the sponsors? I mean, this is a pretty expensive operation. You had to rent the airplane, had to figure out fuel, avionics. Pretty much just writing to all of these sponsors. Yeah, you know, I get a, you just get an email. Uh, you, I search up for the uh, marketing directors for all these companies, and I just write them an email what I'm doing, and some of them come on board and help me out, and that's, uh, that's pretty much uh, what I do. Just got to keep pushing people uh, until some support me. Yeah, that's, that's it. So out of the blue, you just started writing different companies. That's it, yeah. Yeah, just write, write to companies. And, yeah, my dad would help me find the ideas for companies and stuff like that and help me write the emails. So, yeah. Can you estimate about how much this is going to cost for you to make the journey? It's going to cost maybe about uh, 20000 actually. So, yeah, not, not too bad at all. And so. But you've got to rent the airplane, too. Yeah, so, so the, the aircraft actually rented uh, through sponsorships. So, so actually, you know, through deals and stuff like that, it's, uh, yeah, I'm flying around the world for, for free in this aircraft, essentially. Yeah. Well, they had to put a lot of faith in you, Travis. I mean, you're an IFR pilot. You got your certificate at age 17. That says a lot. But how did you convince those folks to get behind you? Again, not too sure. I mean, I'm so thankful for uh, yeah, the, the people in the Netherlands. You know, Hangar One, that's the, that's the maintenance company. And that I'm, I'm hugely thankful for them putting their support in me and uh, yeah, putting their faith in me. 
and looking after their aircraft. And well, I think they're I think they're happy. They uh, I did a they did a hundred hour check in uh, in Texas a couple of days ago, and uh, the guy took the cowling off, looked at the engine, was like, wow, this engine does not look like it's been flown halfway around the world. So he was very impressed in you know, how it's been uh, how I'm operating it, how I'm maintaining it. Yeah. Well, you do have to keep special vigilance, especially in the United States, about refilling that airplane. I mean, it looks like a Cessna 172, but it is a diesel-powered Cessna 172. That's right. And actually, uh, funnily enough, uh, I was in uh, uh, Punta Gorda, in, and uh, I, uh, I, I wasn't actually with the aircraft when they were filling up. And there was a, a trainee, and you know, he saw a 172, so he got the abgas truck. And they're, they're placards saying Jet A, but uh, obviously this trainee didn't, I'm not sure. So yeah, they, they put uh, Avgas into, uh, only about three gallons of Avgas in. Uh, he was lucky I got there j uh, just before, uh, as they started. But it was actually a big deal. I had the fuel shut off valve on the, on the other tank. So, uh, so you know, the tank they're filling up with was shut off. And then also all we had to do was drain the fuel out that tank and fill it back up with Jet A. It was no, no, no big deal at all. So, but absolutely, you have to, uh, have to maintain uh, you know, vigilance about that. And uh, you know, a lot of time I tell people and they're like, wait, that thing takes Jet A? And so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a surprise for everyone. <laughs> Any other gotchas on the trip? Something you didn't plan on that just kind of crept up and grabbed you? Nothing really, except for uh, the 21 age for hotels. <laughs> That was it. <laughs> Other than that, it's actually gone very well to plan. <laughs> what are some of the most beautiful flights that you've had to date, Travis? Some of the spectacular scenery? Either the uh, uh, Rocky Mountains, well, flying from Alaska and uh, you know, down all the way through, uh, through the U.S., you know, the Rocky Mountains there, or uh, uh, flying over Lake Baikal in Russia. That was, also, that was also really beautiful. Those are probably the two most beautiful flights. Yeah, really great. Is there anything you've learned about the people in the world or any new perspectives? Oh, absolutely. I, I met so many people and, uh, you know, my perspective on, you know, you know, Russia and all these countries just completely changed. You know, the Russian people are so nice. Uh, you know, you, you're, t you're technically there. You know, enemies of the of, of the West and you know I, I go there and the people are so nice such great people and super helpful uh, you know, taking me out to dinner all the time and yeah it was a really great love, love, lovely experience yeah let's follow up a little bit on that pilot community that helped you out overseas in Russia and elsewhere give us a couple of other instances where the pilot community came together to help yeah yeah I mean a lot of places I've uh, I've landed at and as uh, somebody follows me on, uh, on social media and say oh hey Travis how you doing let me let me take you out for dinner so uh, yeah it's, it's really nice to uh, you know actually quite helpful as well you know uh, it's helped saving me a bit of a bit of money so which is really important so yeah it's it's great to see great to have yeah now getting to a serious subject for a minute Travis you're a young pilot there are a lot of pressures on you you're trying to make all these goals and hit all these over overseas stops. Uh, what do you do to make sure that you're not pushing yourself too far? And also, what do you think about other folks that might come along behind you and try to break that record for being the youngest to circumnavigate the world? <laughs> well, I mean, just uh, make sure don't rush on anything. Uh, I, I personally, I don't mind uh, anyone beating my record. I actually want to help uh, uh, people. And I, I've been speaking to uh, people who already you know, want to beat the record, you know, people younger than me, and I'm you know, giving them advice and I, I want to help them. Um, and I was talking actually to the current uh, record holder. I, was, I actually met him in Louisiana and he's such a great guy. And you know, as, as he should be, you shouldn't really want, uh, uh, you shouldn't really want to uh, you know, 
discourage people from beating a record. You know, we're an aviation community. We want to we want to help people, but you don't want to rush. You want to make sure you have all the experience you have. Again, you know, don't rush uh, flights if the weather looks t a bit bad. Don't go. Don't take off uh, if you see any anything wrong. Just don't just don't go. And uh, you got to make sure that you're you know, safe as possible and you have the experience to fly around the world. So it sounds like you got some important coaching from another world record holder circumnavigator Mason Andrews in Louisiana who is about to start a flight school out there. Mason Andrews, that's it. Yeah, I met Mason Andrews in Louisiana and uh, he's such a such a great guy and really helpful and uh, again they took me out for dinner and talked about you know, all the challenges that I'll be facing over the Atlantic and uh, things things that'll be coming up and really great to talk to a really nice guy and uh, as I want to help upcoming people who, who want to beat my record as well. Now there was another earth rounder that was doing his mission at the same time you were Mason Shinji Maeda from Washington. Yeah, yeah, Shinji. Uh, he's such an inspiration as well. You know, his, uh, uh, you know, what, what he's done. Um, that's uh, well, truly an awesome story. And uh, I was actually hoping to meet him in Magadan, Russia. Uh, unfortunately, I got delayed by one day because of the weather. And so, yeah, he, I, I was, at, I was one stop behind him. But it's uh, again, that's a safety of uh, not rushing. But uh, he's such a such an inspiration, and uh, I really love following his uh, his story. And how about mentorship? How much has that played into your world trip? Quite a lot. I've spoken to so many uh, past Earthrounders um, uh, you know, in the UK, in the US, around the world, and they've all given me all these tips and information. Um, uh, James Kramer is a ferry pilot as well in uh, in Tampa. He he actually helped me a lot. He told me about the HF radio uh, uh, um, you know, requirement and stuff like that. So he he was a really great guy and uh, you know, super supportive. And uh, thank I'm so thankful for all the uh, all the advice I've been given from past Earthrounders and ferry pilots. And you're open to someone trying to beat your record. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, absolutely open. I, uh, I encourage it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Travis, for spending some time with us. Thank you so much. David, like you said, I, you know, I had big dreams when I was 18. I don't know that flying around the world even factored into that. It's like, I, you know, I knew I, I thought, well, maybe someday I'll cross the Atlantic or something. But the, to have the ambition to do that and to be able to pull it off, I just think is, is incredible. Hats off to him. 44 days, 16 countries, four continents, and it's like 26,000 miles of flying and wow that's pretty cool and he finished on july 12th we want to make our make our listeners aware of the fact that he did button it all up and he also saluted to uh richard branson and virgin galactic we talked about that earlier on the show he the night before the final leg he saluted them and said you know wished uh virgin galactic and uh, spaceship two you know good results as well very cool. Yeah, congrats to him. All right, that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twomley. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Teels. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangartalk and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.